people sometimes go, well, the pastor's away. I think I'll take the day off. Well, he didn't give us the day off. Glory be to God. Uh, he, he called me and he said, uh, can you do a Sunday? I was like, oh, can I do a Sunday? Hallelujah. And I always hate to say no to pastor. Uh, you know, I really do. And I've had to a couple of times because of work commitments and things like that. But with Sunday, I was like, well, I've got the weekend. So if, you know, so if work gets kind of crazy, I have the weekend to pull this thing together. So I said yes and then proceeded to um, be concerned. <laughs> I'll say that. I won't, I won't say worried, but I was concerned as the week went on and it became busy and I didn't get the chance to sit down and go through my notes because one of the things that, that I do is I jot things down. I'm, I'm one of those. You know how, you know, you've got these newfangled things where people, uh, put things in their phone. They make notes in their phones or, or they'll speak and make a voice note. That will never work. So I jot things down. But the problem is I jot them down all over the place. Then I have to run and find them and go, where did I put that piece of paper? And with this particular teaching, it was like that. I had it in two different places. I had part of it in, in one book and part of it in another. And I went, where's the rest of it? I know that it's, it's somewhere. And, you know, the Holy Spirit went, you put it in that other book. So I thank God for the Holy Spirit. And it's been, it's been a journey through this teaching. And I'm, what I'm going to share with you about the teaching is I almost left at home this morning. I am, I'm out the door, door locked bags downstairs headed for the car and went I think it's on the dining room table so I put the bags down I go back upstairs and sure enough it's sitting on the dining room table and that would have normally been okay because I send it to pastor as well but sending it to pastor today wasn't going to help me any so like I said I thank the Holy Spirit for his guidance and when, when I'm about ready to, to kind of do something really, really strange and for listening. I had to listen because there have been times where the Holy Spirit has talked to me and I haven't listened. How many of you can raise your hand for that? Come on. Don't, okay, good. The rest of you, come on. As Pastor would say. So I listened and went back in and sure enough, there was a teaching sitting there on, on the table. So praise God. And it's been, it's been quite the whirlwind with it because, you know, uh, you know, technology and I posted this on Facebook. I had some technology issues <laughs> or I should say technical issues. And so it made it an interesting, uh, I'd say three days. So I, I'm just very, very honored to be with you this morning to bring you, as I said, what God has given to me for you. And I've entitled this teaching called Family Drama and Its Impact on the Children. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to do a little housekeeping on your outline today. Underneath where it says on the children, you need to put 2 Corinthians 5.17. I left off my 
anchor verse of all things this morning as 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we'll get to it later, but I wanted you to have it. Also, I know that some of your, on your outline, some things have faded at the bottom. And I, you know, I apologize for the printer and my ability to fix it. So, but if you need, if you need any information, please just make sure you see me later and I'll have it for you. Amen. Amen. So let's get started. We're winding, we're probably going to get out early because I'm not pastor. I know I have been known to take a while on something, uh, but I don't, I, I'm not sure. What I do know is I'm not going to keep you till pastor comes back. That I can guarantee. All right. So we'll, we're doing that. So, but I don't know how long we're going to be this morning other than that. But family drama can be created by wives, mothers, husbands, fathers, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers, or even cousins. In other words, family drama can be created by anyone. Duh. Pretty obvious, right? And we have these family dynamics that go on. This teaching came about because I was thinking about Jesus. Because, you know, we just recently read through the genealogy of Jesus and the birth of Christ and things like that. And if you read his genealogy, Rahab is in Christ's genealogy. And Rahab was a harlot, as they say, you know. So you have her in there. And then, you know, and then Mary, Jesus' mom, became pregnant by the Holy Ghost. Now, you know, we have a tendency to whitewash sometimes the Word of God and not put people and their emotions and their drama into the situation. Well, today we're going to put that drama into this situation. Mary is probably 13, maybe 14. She is pregnant. She's engaged to this guy named Joseph, but she is pregnant. She now has to tell her parents, I am pregnant. And I have not known a man. Okay, the parents are like, uh, you, you need to come clean about this. You and Joseph probably went off somewhere on the prom and had a little fun. And now you're trying to tell me that what you're pregnant with is from God. Uh, girl, please. And then Joseph, you know, she's got to go to Joseph and say to Joseph, you know, I'm pregnant. He go, um, but girl, please, mm-mm, you need to go tell some other guy that news. Amen. But Joseph doesn't say that. And you know, Joseph's got these friends, you know, guys, you know how guys are, all you guys up in here. He's going, you know, he goes to his friends and says, yeah, my girl's going to have a baby and it's not mine. Dude, really? You bought that line? And it's from God. You bought that? I got a bridge I want to sell you. I got stuff I can give you. You know how dudes are. Man, you need to drop her. You need to just 86 that chick because she just is just not right. Amen. But then God 
comes into this situation. And the village, oh, can't leave out the village, the neighbors. We can't leave out those gossiping neighbors, right? You know that little girl over there pregnant? She trying to say she pregnant with something from God. Are you kidding me? Come on. They must think we crazy. So her parents have to deal with this in the family. They have to deal with this in the neighborhood, in the village, and everything. And But yet and still, Mary and Joseph, with all of those natural facts and spiritual facts going on, come to a conclusion and go from there. And the result of that, as I said in this, and the impact on the children, the impact on this child is Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. All right? So just keep that one in mind and keep that at the top because the other ones sometimes don't turn out that way. Uh, so in a couple of cases, we still have this impacting our world today. These dramas that happened way back when at the, at, during the time of Christ or before Christ's birth. You know, and I'm going to take you back to the beginning because we got one in the beginning. And the family drama that is created here is by Eve for a man. All right? Eve creates a drama. And we begin in Genesis 3, chapter 1. Yeah, I got them all. And I may read them all and I may not, but I'm going we got them up there. Says now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" All right. We're going to create drama. And the serpent is the one that's creating it. So other things can create drama too in your family. Amen? Somebody from the outside looking in is now going to create drama in the family that God has created between Adam and Eve. Because he says, you shall not eat of the... He says, God has indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Eve says in verse 2, And the woman said the serp to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now let's correct that. God didn't say anything about not touching. They added that piece. So here's some family drama that was added to some pieces. Amen? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. So there we have it, Adam standing right there. You know, we always think Adam walks up. Nah, he's standing there doing this whole conversation. And Adam is to be the protector. He was created to be the protector. And he didn't step up into the role that he was supposed to be. He was supposed to protect her. 
if she was wrong about this, he was supposed to say, ah, uh-uh, nope, that's not how this goes. This, but he didn't do that. He just stood there and he listened, you know. And men have a tendency to do that. They just, they kind of just stand, they listen to the conversation and they go, oh, okay, cool. Well, in this case, that was not so cool. Amen. Amen. It says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And God, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the natural fact here is that they had access to every tree in the garden. That's the natural fact is that they had access to every tree in the garden. They had access to everything. Amen. And that's, but you know, we get to that point when somebody says there's one thing you can't have. And then all of a sudden, that's the most important thing you must have. When somebody tells you, you can't do that. When I was a kid and I was on quarantine, my mom would say to me, you can't go out. What was the one thing I wanted to do? Go out. I had to go out. I had, I mean, outside became the most wonderful place in the world, even though there might not have been anything to do out there. It could have been pouring down raining, but because it was the most, because she said I couldn't go out, I just had to go out. And I'm not one to get wet, y'all. Not like in rain. I don't mind. I get, I love to swim. I love being in the ocean and everything. But outside rain, wet? No. I'm like a cat in that respect. I'm going to get mad. You know, but if I was on quarantine and it was raining, outside I was going. You know, because that's the one thing I wanted. So this is what happens. It says, Eve says, because she saw that it was, it was good. You know, it looked pretty. And everything. And God said, you know, don't eat of that. Now all of a sudden it's the one thing that she wants. So that's the natural fact. The spiritual fact for us is in Genesis 2.25. And it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The spiritual fact here is that they were not ashamed because there was no sin. 
This nakedness that you see in this chapter is a nakedness of both physical and spiritual nature. Okay? (laughs) How many of you have kids here? Okay. Okay. What is the wonderful thing that they love to do when they're little? They run around naked. They love it. It's this freedom. And it's not till you grab them and put some clothes on them do they understand that clothes are a necessity. (laughs) Especially if you're going outside. Amen. But left to their own devices, they might run outside naked, right? So this is, so it's because they're not ashamed. They're not ashamed. They're like, woohoo! Let it all hang out. We love it. We're free. Amen. Adam and Eve were like that, but they were grown-ups. They were grown-ups. But they were free physically, and the nakedness also was spiritual. They had nothing to hide spiritually from God because they were without sin at this time. So their spiritual fact is they were not ashamed because there was no sin. The drama. Because of what Eve does when she eats of the fruit and gives it to her husband, she creates drama for herself, for mankind, okay? And the drama that she creates is in verse 16, which says that in pain you shall bring forth children. I've never had any children. Okay, so I'm not speaking from experience here, but I have witnessed the birth of a child. And I'm telling you, I thank God for my mother at that point and every mother for what happens during that time. The, 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 just the, the physical take, the physical toll and everything and you labor for hours. I don't care how much drug they might shoot up in there. But people labor for hours. Caesareans, they take a scalpel and they cut and stuff. You know? And, and I've seen the use of a scalpel and I, you know, you think of it just as a sharp knife. But it is so much more than that. I mean, I watched the doctor take the scalpel and just swipe and stuff was cutting and ble- I was like, oh my. You know? So, Because of the drama that Eve created, this pain and travail in childbirth has come about. So, thank you very much, Eve. (laughs) Also, because of this drama that she created, she corrupted the relationship between her and Adam. God created that relationship perfect. I'm not exactly sure what that perfection was, the way he created it. However, but in the verse it says that uh, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Because that's in there, I'm believing that something else was planned by God. But because of this drama, because of what Eve did, it changed. Relationships today are very difficult between men and women. Um, and it takes some work. It takes some work. 
They weren't intended to be that way. She was his helpmate. But because of this, now she has corrupted the relationship with her helpmate. You know, because look at what Adam says. The woman you gave me. You know, he goes, the woman you gave me. You can hear him saying that, right? This woman you gave me. See, this is why we in this predicament now because of her. If you had given me a different one, it wouldn't be like this. Huh? You put yourself in there. You've been there. You've been there. We've all been there one way or the other. So Adam, Adam is now in a position where he has to rule over her. Whereas it was, even though God created Adam as the head and everything, I don't believe it was a, of a, um, a, a bad rulership, if you will. You know, it's the same thing when people talk about being submitted. You know, everybody wants to say submitted. <laughs> and you know, that's not how God has defined that submission role. But you gotta know God to know that. Amen? Amen. So that's, so he, so she corrupted her relationship with her helpmate. And then we move on to, um, Sarah and Isaac. Yeah. Sarah and Isaac in Genesis 16, starting at verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Now how many of you wives up in here know this is not going to end well? You know this is not going to end well, right? I just heard on Facebook, uh, they were taking a poll. And it was for uh, women mainly. And they said, <laughs> how many of you are willing to share your husbands with other women since there's such a shortage of men? And there are more women than <laughs> men. And so you women who already have a husband, you all should be willing to share him with others. How many of you going for that deal? Okay, I got no hands. Come on. Don't be so selfish in here. <laughs> God says give. <laughs> I see you ain't going for that one either, huh? You ain't giving that. But I, I, I heard, I heard that and I, I laughed and chuckled. And as I'm pulling this teaching together, I see that in here and I go, Lord have mercy. These things do not end well. Amen. So she says, and please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And here we go with these guys again. Guys, come on. And Abram, Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Come on, really? Now, Adam heeds Eve. Abram heeds Sarah. We, you see a pattern here? We got a pattern going, but that's not my pattern today. I may save it for a different day. <laughs> then, then Sarah in verse three 
Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abram had dealt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when he saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. Really? I love that. My wrong. Yeah, I know I was wrong. But because it's my, it's on you. Because you should have said, nope. Because if you go back a chapter or two, you find that God gave the promise to who? Abram, right? Just like he gave the charge to who? Adam. But here we go with wives and mamas getting involved in stuff and changing them around. And I'm going to get to you guys later, so don't think you out of this. I'm going to get to y'all later in a minute, even though I'm getting to y'all a little bit in here too. But I'm going to get really to you later. So, <laughs> so she says that my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, now here we go with another one. This is the same thing like the woman you gave me. Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah harshly dealt with her, she fled from his friend. Just do, <laughs> I'm out of this. I'm an innocent bystander. I'm out of this. You do with her whatever you want to do. And so she dealt harshly with her. The natural fact here is out of Genesis 17, 17. And Genesis 17, 17 says, Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? The promise is that they were going to have a child. And they were going to have said child together. Not Abram and Hagar. Not Sarah and somebody else. But that they were going to have a child together. The natural fact is that Abram was 100 and Sarah was 90. Now, ladies... You 90. In this day and age, <laughs> you're going to have a baby. Guys, you 100. Now, see, time was different then. You know, we were a lot closer to perfection. You know, the perfection that, that Adam and Eve had, we were a lot closer. So 100 was probably nothing. 90 was probably nothing. You know, nowadays people aren't living quite that long. So let's pull it up a little bit. Women? You 60. He's 70. You having a baby. Woohoo! I'm telling you, my godson has two boys and they came to visit. And I loved having them, but I realized that children are a young woman's game. Very much so. Them two little boys ran me ragged. When they left, I laid down, and that was all she wrote. I was done for the day and the night. Amen? Because children are, they they have a lot of energy. I'd love to be able to bottle it 
and give it and put it and take it as a vitamin, but that doesn't work that way. So just imagine, you know, a hundred and a ninety year old man, a woman, they are now going to have a baby. But that was the promise. God promised to give them a child together. The drama that Sarah creates. Sarah now creates the drama that instead of the son of the promise, we now have another son. We have two. We have Ishmael and we have Isaac. And Isaac is the son of the promise. Ishmael is the oldest. And in that culture and everything, the oldest was the one that inherited everything got everything and 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 that wasn't the case here and i've talked to some friends of mine who are muslim and they believe that ishmael is the son of the promise they believe that's that's the muslim foundation is that ishmael as the firstborn is the son of the promise not isaac so we have two sons, and all they're doing to this very day is fighting over daddy's land. They still fighting over, they, they fought when they were younger, and now they still fighting over daddy's land. But that's the drama that's created, and the drama even today is going on. It goes on even today. Amen? Amen. So, the son of the promise, Isaac, and his descendants fighting with Ishmael, Ishmael and his descendant. That's exactly what they're doing. And you guys, anybody got two boys? No? No two boys? Well, just siblings in general fight. I know I fought with my brother. I, 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 I'll be honest. And usually I was the one that was instigating stuff. You know, just talk to my mother and talk to my brother, and they'll they'll tell you. So I'm going to honestly tell you, I was the one doing most of the instigating. But siblings fight, and these siblings fought, and they even had even more reason to fight. Because you know Ishmael is is getting the information that Hagar is giving him, and Hagar is talking about, yeah, you know, that woman treated me bad and I left and I'm in the wilderness, in the desert, and the Lord had to come and take care of me because the Lord made her a promise while she was out there. And Ishmael's descendants had stuff too. You know, see, God, you know, God is like, even when we mess up, and we were singing that song. Even when we mess up, God is, 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 is able to fix stuff. He's willing to fix stuff on our behalf. Amen? That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of love that He is. Cause it says God to His nature is love. Amen? Amen. So now we're going to get to, now we've get, we've, we still are in wives and mothers. And please believe me, guys, know that I was cutting stuff out of this to make this thing fit like you wouldn't believe. So, so if I miss something or, or something doesn't make sense, please let me know because I tried to keep track of it, however. But we're still on wives and mothers. And our last wife is Rebecca and her son Jacob. Now, there were two sons, but we're going to look at Jacob in, in this one. And that's in Genesis 25. 
And in Genesis 25, it says, 25, am I right? 25 and verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the, do- the, the, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pandam, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, if you know the story of, of Rebekah and Laban and all the trickery and chicanery that went on there, uh, you, you know that we are talking about uh, the, all of that. But anyway, the twins, we're going to talk about the twins. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So here we see the natural fact is that Rebecca is pregnant with twins, and there's some difficulty going on. She's having a problem. You know, and, and, and she, she's like, I gotta find out what's going on in here. And I, I can only surmise that, that something's happened in a pregnancy where the woman will all of a sudden not feel well or some, you know, something doesn't feel right. And so she goes to the doctor and she goes, something doesn't feel right. And she explains it to him and he goes, hmm, yeah, that doesn't sound right. Let's take a look at it. Let's find out what's going on. So she goes to Dr. God and says, what is going on up in here? Well, the Lord then tells her what's going on. And what he tells her is the spiritual facts that there were two nations, two manner of people. And the kicker to this spiritual fact is that the elder was going to serve the younger. And we've talked a little bit about cultural things in the nation of Israel and how God set things up. And he set things up so that the elder was the one that usually inherited. They usually inherited. But God is setting up something different here. He's setting up that the elder is going to serve the younger. We don't know why, but God said it, and that really should have been enough. However, again, we have wives and mothers creating drama. All right. So in Genesis 27, 1, we see now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his elder son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. Now, one thing you need to know here is that these boys, Esau's the oldest, Jacob is the younger. All right, we got that straight. Those are the twins. And Esau hunts and does all kinds of stuff, you know, and his father is like proud of him, loves him. And we're going to get to that later, but proud of him, loves him. And then you have Jacob, who some would call a mama's boy. He hanging out in the tent with Rebecca and everything. But He's the younger. But now Rebecca knows because of the spiritual promise 
that Esau is supposed to serve Jacob. Right? She knows this. So she's like, how's that going to happen? That's not how our culture works. That's not how things happen here. So I'm going to have to get involved a little bit. So in verse 3, Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And who's listening? Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. Remember I said about relationships that the the husband and wife relationship had been corrupted in the garden when that happened? Here's another example of this. So Rebecca spoke to Jacob. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? Because Rebecca loves Jacob. Mamas Mamas, yeah, you might have your favorite, but try not to let them know it <laughs> because stuff happens when they know they're the favorite. I always tell people I'm my mother's favorite, right? And, you know, uh, they go, yeah, right, okay. I go, yeah, I'm the favorite, you know. I even say I'm pastor's favorite too, but that's a different story, right? But when you're the favorite, sometimes there are different privileges. Sometimes the rules don't apply to you if you're the favorite sometimes. Now, you might have your reasons for it because, you know, your favorite cleans their room without being asked. The favorite takes out the trash without being asked. The favorite washes the dishes without being asked. Oh, that is a favorite. So that you give that favorite more leeway. But for the most part, that doesn't happen, you know. But if it does, so you give them a little more leeway. You don't ride them maybe as hard as you do the others. But that creates drama in your house. Maybe not then, maybe not tomorrow, but it's going to create drama in your house. Amen? So now Rebecca was listening. Where did I stop on verse five? Okay, verse six. So Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring from there Two choice kids of goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it in, take it to your father, and he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. Now remember, the elder serving the younger. So Rebecca figures God needs some help. Because she can't see how this is going to come about. So she's going to help God out. So she comes up, she got this plot going. This plot gets thicker and thicker. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned. 
Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. She got an answer. She got an answer. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She does all of this. See, I tell you, creating drama, just getting ready to create some stuff. She just puts him in a costume so he can deceive his father. So he gets to deceive his father. And so the drama, like I said, is in Genesis 27, 1, through 16 and then we also see the rest of it come about in verse 28 which says therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine let people serve you and nations bow down to you be master over your brethren and let your mother's son bow down to you Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as. How many times do we see in the word of God? As soon as. As soon as this thing is over. Is, is over. It says now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. And Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father. That Esau his brother came in from hunting. And it, at that point, it was too late. You know, and Esau is begging him, bless me, bless me, bless me. What did you just do? And so he goes, well, this is all I have. So he gets a different blessing. So the drama here is she deceives her husband. There's that relationship break that we talked about. Because if the relationship is right, are you going to go around deceiving your husband? No. Right? You're not going to do that. We also see that hatred comes about. And that, and it says, so Esau in, uh, Esau, this is verse 41 in the same chapter. So Esau hated Jacob. Because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So with this, with this deception, we got the deception of the husband. We have the hatred of the brother. And one other thing is a separation that lasted for many years. Not only were the brothers separated from each other, but also the son was separated from his mother. Rebecca didn't see Jacob ever again when he fled from Esau. She never saw him again. And he was her favorite. So, you know, just imagine not seeing your child ever again. You know, and, and she loved him. 
She loved him, but she never saw him again because she died before the reconciliation happened. So that drama, that's one of the results of that drama. And then, you know, we have that, you know, that Jacob, like I said, he, he hangs out with Laban and there's all kinds of shenanigans that go on there uh, between uh, Rebecca and Leah and, you know, the spotted cows and the speckled cows and the smooth, uh, all kinds of stuff. And all this drama. See, and that's what I mean about drama happening in your family and its impact on your children and for years and years to come. These are two brothers hated, he hated his brother, it says. And he hated him enough to say, after our, the mourning period for our father is over, I'm going to kill this dude. How much hatred do you have in your heart that you go around, you're going to kill somebody? I mean, that's a pretty permanent solution to something. Amen? Amen. So, as I said, you know, I picked on the mamas and the wives. Now, I'm moving on to you husbands. Get ready. (laughs) Get ready, because now I have Jacob and Joseph. All right? In Genesis 37, we see the history of Jacob come about. And we talk about, and how many sons did Jacob have? How many? My kids are here. Twelve. He had twelve. He had twelve sons. And you can go through that chapter or the chapter before, and it talks about each one of them. And each one of them turns into a tribe. They are the twelve tribes of Jacob or Israel. Amen. And each one has a certain characteristic and thing like that. But we're not going to talk about that now. In Genesis 37.3, we find the natural fact. The natural fact is now Israel, because Jacob's name has now been changed to Israel, loved Joseph more than all his children. Because he was the son of his old age, also he made him a tunic of many colors. He loved Joseph. My theory is that he loved Joseph because Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. And he really, really liked Rachel. You know, he loved Rachel. But because of the shenanigans of Laban, he got Leah first. Okay? But he loved Rachel. And I believe that the children from Rachel are the ones that he loved the most because of his affection for their mother. Amen? But still in all, he loved Joseph more than anybody of, of all the all the children. The spiritual fact in verse 5, we start in verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. Okay. That's part of the drama. Let's skip that for the moment. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams. 
you know, now they hate him because his father loves him more than everybody else. And now they hate him because he's having these dreams that are saying, okay, you guys are going to bow down to me. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So again, the natural fact is that Jacob here is a respecter of person. Because he loves Joseph more than all of his children. And there are some daughters in here as well, as we find out if you continue to read this passage. So he loves Joseph more than, than all his children. That's the natural fact. And that he is a respecter of that love. And you know, the word of God says that God is not a respecter of person. But Joseph is. I mean, Jacob I got the right one. Jacob is. He respects Joseph more than... Now, Joseph was a good kid. So, so don't... You know, it's not a bad thing or anything like that. That's what the code of many colors was about, was that this was this code of authority. And he had this authority because his father could count on him. His father counted on him... Because we even hear that, he, you know, how he told on his brothers one time because they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. He could call him a snitch, but in fact, he was just telling the truth. Okay? You're a snitch only because I don't agree with you. All right? That's all that is. So uh, <laughs> a friend of mine told me that once, and I, I loved it. But anyway, but because he was a good kid, and his father could count on him, depend on him to do what he said he was going to do, Depend on him to do what his father asked him to do. Amen? So that's not necessarily a bad thing. The spiritual fact here was that God had a plan for Joseph that was revealed in the two dreams. They didn't understand the plan that God revealed, but God had a plan. And if you read through the the account of Joseph, which is one of my favorites, as a matter of fact, is because... You see the plan unfold as, you know, there's a famine in the land. But before the famine, Joseph collects like food and everything and stores it up and keeps. It was an absolutely awesome economical plan that was happening here. And that's the plan that God had for Joseph's life. But the drama, like I said, in verse four is that. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. I mean, I've never, I, I, I can't imagine. I, yeah, I can. You know, you've had an argument. You've had an argument in your house, in the family. Okay? And first of all, people stop speaking to each other. I had a cousin that stopped speaking to us for many, many years. And then, you know, when they do speak, there's that bite to it, you know, to the conversation. You know, it's it's always something, but mm, I can't believe you said that, or why do you go around saying that? But there's always some kind of 
bite to the conversation. And that's what we see here with Joseph and his brothers. They can't even speak peacefully to him. It doesn't say that they stop speaking to him. It's just that they don't speak peacefully to him. So, you know, they, they talking all kinds of words and, and things to him. And all because of this drama that was created. And then they have, they envy, they're envious, they're jealous of him. Their father gave him a coat of authority. They hated that. And then, like I said, they don't respect their father. Now, if you say to me, Ethel, well, where do you get this, this, they don't respect their father piece? Let's go to, uh, Genesis 37, 35. I think it's 35. Yes. It says, and all his sons, well, let's back up to 34. Daryl, let's back up to 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And then in 35 it says, and all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave, to the, into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And in this account, what happens is, you know, the brothers get their heads together and we got another plot going on. Um, so, you know, here, you know, it just seems like this. That these issues create these plots in the family. So the brothers get a plot. We going, they first go, we going to kill him. Then one of the brothers, magnanimous guy, says, ah, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit, you know. So they throw him in the pit. They take the coat. They take the coat to the dad. They put some blood on it to show that, you know, he's been killed and the father just Jacob is inconsolable none of the children can console him now if you love and respect somebody and and many of us in here have lost people and you know the grief that is in you when you lose someone if I as a person who loves and respects you knows that that person is alive that they're well and I don't come to you and go, Susan, it's okay. No, it's okay, Susan. No, you don't have to do that. They're alive and well. Then I don't love you. I'm going to watch you just cry and tear your clothes and talk about going into the grave with them. That's not love. That's not respect. That's just wanting to see you suffer. So they want to see their father suffer and they okay with him suffering. And they know that Joseph is, is, is not dead. They just know he, you know, he in the pit, but they know he's not dead, but they let their father go through all of that emotion and all of that and don't say a word. They don't say a word. So as, so they have no respect for their father. And it's just, like I said, <laughs> there are these family dynamics, the drama, and its impact on the children. And we see with Joseph, the impact, if you go through the account of Joseph, he still is the same guy in the prison, when, they throw, when he's in the prison, when he's a slave 
in Potiphar's house, he's still doing and exhibiting the characteristics that he exhibited with his father. So even though his father created this drama and his brothers hate him, how many of you know that if somebody put you in a pit, you'd be like, hmm, I'm done with all these people. As soon as I get out this pit, I'm done with them. But no, and then he goes on and he, when they come to him, he gets them food and everything. I'd have been like, y'all just need to starve. Y'all left me in a pit. You sold me to these people. I've been in prison. I've been a slave in somebody's house. The wife comes charging out after me and you, all of this because y'all don't like the fact that dad liked me better. Y'all can starve. <laughs> Y'all can starve and get out of here. But no, he doesn't do that. Granted, he takes them through a little bit, but he gives them what they need. Amen? Because he still loves them. They're his family. Imagine that. He still loves them. And it's, I'm like, wow. And we can learn from that. We learn from that. Like I said, the family drama and its impact on us as children or on your children, you know, it doesn't have to be a bad thing sometimes. But let's avoid it. Let's avoid it and stay with our spiritual facts. Amen. (laughs) So we don't have to go through the the prison and we don't have to go through being a slave in somebody's house we don't have to go through all of that amen and then the one the next one that i want to talk about and and pastor talked about david uh last week is we're going to talk about jesse and david jesse's the father in this like i said i picked on the mamas and the wives i'm picking on the husbands and the dads right now In 1 Samuel 16, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel says, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God always has a plan. One of the things that you can know is that God is the most amazing planner in the world. He has a plan, and his plans create great things for us, all right? But we have to be about the spiritual facts and follow the plan. Another subject for another day. So let's keep going. In verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. So, Jesse has eight sons, but he only brings seven. He only brings seven. So you have to ask yourself, why? So the natural fact here is that Jesse doesn't consider David king material. Because he didn't present him. Jesse did not present David to Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse in verse 11, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Yeah, he out in the field keeping the sheep. That yeah, that that's number eight. But yeah, uh-uh, no. These these are the ones I want to present to you that I am sure that the Lord is going to anoint as the next king. And Samuel says to Jesse, "Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here." Because the spiritual fact is the Lord had chosen David. And also Samuel was told to go to Jesse and Samuel didn't stop at seven. Samuel didn't stop at seven. He goes, listen, uh uh-uh, nope, 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 nope. Something else is going on here. Where's number eight? So he brings out number eight and the Lord has chosen him. And the drama that is created from this, because the father doesn't consider David worthwhile. Guess what? They taking their cue from their dad. See, that's what happens. They People take the cue from the mom or the dad of how to treat the children. The siblings, you know, they see you wailing on one of the kids. They going to wail on that kid too because they figure you got a reason for that. All right? So that's where we have to have, where we see impact. The impact of this on the children. Jesse's attitude impacts all seven and really all eight. But the difference is, and we're going to get to that, in uh, First Samuel 17, verse 28, it says, now, and this is the this is the account where uh, Saul and the army are cornered or up in the mountains with the Philistine, with Goliath, and they up there in the mountain, and Goliath is talking smack to them about what he going to do to them, and they are all huddled. They don't know what to do. They're scared, and the brothers have gone with Saul. It says now Eliab. Eliab his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men 
and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said why did you come down here and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle and David said what have I done now is there not a cause is there not a cause the family drama that's produced here is that his brothers see him as a pest they consider David a pest it's like what are you doing here go back to those little sheep and all of this is coming from Jesse the dad the father and how that you know when when Samuel said bring me your son so that I may anoint the next king he only brings seven so it's like, well, if dad don't consider him a son, whew, I don't have to be about this either. So they consider that David is a pest by his older brother. Amen? Amen. So in all of this, like I said, this these dramas, we have a natural fact and a spiritual fact. The natural fact leads to usually very, very, very bad outcomes. Whereas if we stay with the spiritual facts that God has found, the outcome of all of that will be tremendous. The spiritual facts based on the word and the spirit of God should dictate our actions. If we look at David's actions, they are based on a spiritual fact. He believes in a great big God. Because he says there, who is this Philistine? Who is he that thinks that he can do this or say this about the army of God? So he didn't let what his father said about him impact him. David was, once he was anointed king, David was king. He might have gone back to tending the sheep and having to kill the bear and the lion or whatever. But he was like, I am king. How I get to be king, I don't know. I just know I'm king. And when the time is right, hallelujah, King David, right? And we also see that when you talk about uh, Joseph. Joseph is in the prison, but he's still like, I got a dream. I got a dream. I can help. You know, and then it said he, he, came, he became the chief prisoner. Then he was the head slave. Who's the head slave? Who's the chief prisoner? But it didn't impact the spiritual fact that he knew that at some point his brothers were going to bow down to him. That he was going to be this person that was going to be in charge. And Joseph wound up being in charge of everything. He was second in command after coming from the prison. After being a slave in somebody's house. Because he based his actions on the spiritual facts that God had given him. Amen? Amen. So when we do that and it dictates our our actions, no matter what our family drama is. No matter the family drama, that didn't dictate Jesus' actions either. Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. Amen. He said, I say what my father says. I do what I see my father do. Even when then people say, isn't this the carpenter's son? And you know, people were saying, 
well, wait a minute. Isn't this Mary's oldest that there's some kind of suspect going on here? Jesus didn't let that stop him. He said, I've got a job to do. God has a plan for me. I'm the savior of the world. He was holy man and holy God. That's a concept that we have some difficulty with. Because we swear up and down the only way he could could have done this is if he was God. But it says he was holy man and holy God. Meaning total. And he came so that we are an example of that, that we too can be that. We can come to a situation. We can come into some drama, a circumstance, and have natural facts presented to us. You are worthless. You are terrible at that. You just are the worst. And instead, we've got a spiritual fact that says, I am made in the image of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And as they said this morning, that God is able and willing to do it on your behalf because he loves you so much. That's the spiritual fact that needs to dictate our actions when there's drama in our lives, when there's a situation in our life. We stand on the spiritual fact. That God loves you. He sent his only begotten son for you. Hallelujah. That the Holy Spirit, the first inheritance, will lead and guide you into all truth. He's your helper. You know, people talk about, I'm helpless. No, you're not. No, you're not. You have the helper and greater one living on the inside of you. Amen? Amen. So at no point in time are you helpless. At no point in time will your actions create drama that will affect you on and on and on if you stay to the spiritual facts. These types of actions will produce supernatural results just as it did in the lives of Joseph, Isaac, David and those of us who have chosen to make Jesus Lord of our lives. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is our last scripture here, and I want to leave you with this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That means that that creation never existed before. That's what that verse is saying. You're a new creation. So no matter what. Drama, mama created, daddy created, husband created, wife created, children, cousins, aunts, uncles, no matter what. You are a new creation. All things have passed away and all, everybody say all, come on, all things have become new. Glory be to God. You are a new creation. And when your family, your friends, people you don't even know, come up to you and say, "Mm, no, you're terrible. You don't know how to do that. How in the fact did you get to be somebody's X, Y, Z? You are a new creation in Christ Jesus and all things are new. Amen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this time that we could come together and hear what you say. Father God, let us keep mindful of the spiritual facts that are in your word. 
Your word and your spirit, which you've written on our heart, O oh Father God, will give us what the spiritual facts are. Spiritual facts are like promises, Father. Promises from you and your promises are yes and amen. So we thank you, Father God, that your Holy Spirit will bring your promises to our remembrance as we read your word, Father God. They will jump out at us so that when we come into situations, Father God, we know what you said we should do, what our actions should line up with, and that should be your word and your spirit. We thank you. We give you honor and glory in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We say amen.